and welcome to Own Up, the podcast all about equity compensation and employee ownership, brought to you by Global Shares. I'm your host, Chris Dorman, and I'm joined, as ever, by my friend, John Bagdonis. Hey, John. Thanks, Chris. Today, we're going to be diving into the latest international business and equity trends and what they mean for you and your employee share plans. As we approach the halfway mark of another busy year, we're taking stock of everything that has happened in the world so far. Some of it was unexpected, and some of it was definitely not. Joining us today to look at the current state of affairs in different regions around the world is a partner at White & Case, Henrik Patel. Henrik is Global Head of White & Case's Employment, Compensation, and Benefits Practice, and he has vast experience advising clients on the full spectrum of executive compensation and employee benefit issues. Henrik has worked with private and public companies from all over the world to solve challenging compensation and benefits issues, including corporate governance matters and best practices, executive compensation plan design, efficient tax structuring, employment contracts, and equity incentive compensation arrangements. Arrangements. Welcome, Hendrik, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Hi, Hendrik. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, what I wanted to try and do next is basically talk about what people should be thinking about. And I think it's going to come up in a couple of cases. We'll come back to the U.S. last. But let's, let's um, you know, take a look at China. So this is something where folks have been looking at some of the same issues and trends here for a while. Uh, what should they be thinking about now? You know, it's interesting. China has historically, as you and John are well aware, uh, frankly, been a pain in the neck to grant equity in. You need safe approvals. You need various approvals. China has gone after multi-billion-dollar uh, you know, billion dollar companies for not getting such approvals and granting equity in China in the past. And most, I, I'm not saying it's impossible to grant equity in China. It's, it's possible. But most clients tend to err on the side of, I'm just going to grant cash rewards in China. Uh, it's just not economically feasible to grant pure equity awards in China. And I think that that's sort of what people are sort of discovering now with Russia, although Russia is probably even worse in a way due to the sanctions on the other end that prohibit cash going into the country in certain instances, unless you have a valid exception. So I think China, you know, your, your China awards of past, which were generally cash-based awards for for most who do not bother getting safe approval, uh, that's where you're going to see in Russia. Now, as everybody knows, most RSU grants and other award grants always allow the company to settle in cash, even if they're usually settled in equity. Now, that can have different accounting effects and other things, but it's at least permissible, not usually done. But for China, we continue to see people issue mostly cash awards and not go through um, the government processes to get approval to issue equity. I think that's even more so now because China, uh, while a lot of the world, UK, US, Ireland, is at least reducing restrictions and no longer taking a zero-tolerance COVID policy, China still has a zero-tolerance COVID policy. So I, I'm sure people saw that they're shutting down Shanghai, half the city each day. Your chances of getting through safe approval at a timely manner right now are, you know, this is not number one or number two or number three on anybody's to-do list. So at the end of the day, go with tried and true, go with cash in China might be the way to put it. Um, and that's kind of what we're 
sort of scene these days. Uh, whether that changes in the future, who knows? But uh, I, I, you know, I, I do think we were starting to see, you know, pre-COVID more, you know, interest in trying to get approvals and be through the China system and give put them on some of the same equity plan as everybody else. Um, but you know, given this new world order, so to speak, that's more difficult. I don't know, John, Chris, if you're seeing anything different on your side. I, I was going to say you know, very similar to the point that you were making, Henrik, about the fact that. COVID is still, in many regards, top of mind in terms of the different regions of China. And we saw it, you know, in uh, in the manufacturing center, a little centers a little bit earlier um, this year, where the shutdowns happened in you know the southern part of China, that uh, the companies that support or the manufacturing facilities to support a lot of Silicon Valley uh, that had happened. Um, I think that's loosening up a little bit now. But as you said, I, I have a neighbor actually that's been on assignment in Shanghai now for since before COVID and uh, their family now and they're in Shanghai. And uh, it's, uh, you know, going to be some more interesting times that they have to go through and other people in general. But until they get up to the point that the Western world is in terms of vaccination rates and other potential prophylactics, it's still going to continue because it's there's still these subvariants that are occurring. And uh, as you said, it is so far down the scheme of important things uh, from the Chinese government standpoint and also companies that are doing business there that um, it's not something that we're seeing, you know, really at all but in terms of at least we're not uh, any new plans or anything along those lines. Chris, anything? Well, what I was going to say is uh, there are times that I would argue for making uh, an effort to make things more complicated, especially when it is uh, when it deals with communication or education and making sure that people understand the benefits that they receive. This is not one of them. So whether it's the KISS principle or not, when it comes down to whether or not you want to incentivize uh, employees using equity, which would be very difficult to do in situational, um, as we discussed, in situational issues, um, you know, to pay them in cash is something that I think is a, a very acceptable alternative in the short term. Yeah, the old expression "cash is king" is another great one, and you know it, it. It's interesting these days. I'd say China and Hong Kong that applies equally. So um, you know, those of us who are old enough to remember the old Hong Kong, uh, that would never have been the case in certain years, and now I feel like it's uh, really the the two are um, hand in hand in terms of you're, you're seeing more and more cash. Uh, over there. I, I know and on a related topic, we're going to get there, but it, it's something that it's becoming more top of mind for a lot of people when we say cash is king. Cash obviously is king, but the diminishing value of it with CPI going up is definitely going to have probably profound impacts on uh, on equity as we've talked previously, Henrik. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the UK first or just in general terms about how the global economy and inflation is going to have impacts to performance plans and uh, equity in general. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And maybe I'll just sort of rewind a little bit here, John, because I think, you know, for the US and the UK, especially in the US, we were expecting sort of tax reform last year, we sort of saw all sorts of stuff about rates going up, tax rates going up, putting aside inflation rates, um, and, and everything else. And it, it, it frankly didn't come to pass, right? So, 
what is driving things right now on the UK US side of the equation and it's sort of driving comp plans generally as well is you're seeing you know performance metrics and things like that have to take into account inflation uh, inflation is at 30 or 40 year highs at uh, CPI related uh, up the most you've ever seen and it, you know depending on the industry, depending on the performance metrics, depending on the KPIs and targets being used for performance metrics, most of those were set historically at low inflation environments. And now we're seeing clients think about and have to decide what to do for how do I set KPIs in an inflationary environment? How does that affect things? Because, you know, relative TSR, that's obviously the most useful metric and one ISS and glass Lewis. I'll, I'll, I'll forget about my own feelings on whether it's the most useful metric. It depends on what I think it's relative to. But now you almost need a relative to inflation marker for some of your KPIs. Because if you were to just take you know prior things and say, ah, we're going to set the revenue target at 5% above what last year's is. Well, if inflation's running 8% and we're raising prices 8%, well, everyone's going to hit their 5% revenue target just based on selling a little less than last year, which is not normally the goal behind um you know, KPI targets. We have not seen yet ISS, Glass Lewis, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, and they're they're uh, coming out and 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 looking at these, you know, too closely. And I think that's partially because the CPI it takes a little while to catch up. CPI was up huge December, January, but you know, historically had not been. It's there's a little lag, and I think most companies are most of the way through this year's comp cycle for the 2022 awards, the awards being made in 2022. So I don't think you're seeing as much of an effect this year, but I think this is clearly top of mind going forward and did enter into committees and others' uh, questions about the current year's cycle and what what to do. Um, You know, whereas in the past, most of it related to tax rates, investing, and whether or not, you know, you'd be better off having it settle in 2021 because we're going to have lower taxes in 21 versus 22. Um, Frankly, you know, to bring it full circle all the way back to Russia, the black swan event of Russia invasion of Ukraine has pushed tax reform way down on the list of priorities as well. So it's the type of thing where that one event has sort of pushed other things off of, you know, not only the front page of the journal or top of the fold of the journal, but also sort of you know, made things a little different for what people are concerned about. Now, you know, similarly, the effects of this invasion and what it means overall to various companies depends, right? Defense industry, you're seeing more spending. So therefore, you could argue, you know, your targets are easier to meet there. Other industries that sold a lot into Russia, you know, you you, you can see it if you watch CNBC every day, you know, that company says they're pulling back, freezing, doing whatever. And how, how should that affect equity awards? Both outstanding ones that, you know, were based on, you know, Russia being in the mix versus others that are, you know, to be granted. So I think there's a lot going on. Uh, I would say, you know, equity awards are not 
and purposefully and rightfully so, not the first thing that people think about. But when it comes down to it, it is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. I think it's probably going to be a bigger issue next year at this point than this year, just because of where we are in the cycle. I, I don't know, Chris, John, if you've seen anything different than that. Well, I would say that um, I think you're right. But I think what um, could be learned is that the effort to look at things like that, so for example, the anticipation of change in tax rates, I think was valuable. The delay was something that they could not be controlled. But I think what you're what you're raising now is the issues you're, that are bringing up. The fact that some of your clients looked at it, why weren't all of them? You know, that's why we're trying to do this webcast. We're trying to make it top of mind so that folks understand that the ambition to give out equity uh, as an incentive, as a, to retain, and a number of other things is all great. But there are certain factors that make it impactful or less impactful. And I think that's what you're raising right now. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I was going to just sort of add to that a little bit as well in that when you started off your talk, um, Henrik, you were talking about sort of the big different events that have happened over the last few years. And it's interesting how that's changed the economic environment just in general and dislocated some industries, enhanced other industries. And now we're layering on top of that uh, where we've been for such a long time in such a low inflationary or interest rate uh, economy for such a long period of time. We're now starting to layer potentially layer that onto all of these other changes and all of the other dynamics that have taken place over the last few years. And it's going to cost so much more. You know, I use the word dislocation, but I think it will. I, I just heard something uh, on one of the business journal of business shows earlier today about uh, an, one economist now predicting a housing bubble because of the fact that there is tremendous because of all of the changes in where people live and how they you know they work. Uh, there are definitely places in throughout the world, and particularly in different places here in the U.S., where there has been tremendous surge in housing prices because of places where people really want to live where they don't have to necessarily commute the way they did before the, the the pandemic and now that supply or that demand is going to catch up or that imbalance is eventually going to have an impact and it's just going to be interesting to see how the new normal is going to become another new normal in in a very hurtful way probably to a lot of people and and uh, participants in our global economy and so as chris said it's very useful to go down the sort of the 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 thought exercise of trying to think where where, what's going to happen next and what is going to be the impact in to a lesser extent as we agree from an equity comp standpoint where we all sort of our sweet spot if you will um where will that end up and how can we anticipate particularly you know in, in a role like yours henrik where you're advising so many global companies on trying to give them that insight and that perspective of how we should begin to figure out what that new normal is going to be. No, I, I think that's right, John. And I think, you know, what I always advise is making sure your plans and your awards have sufficient flexibility. And I, I think, you know, you see that with the Russia example right now and what applicable law means. But that's just the latest in a long line of examples. Uh, when we had the CARES Act come into play, you had limitations on compensation for certain industries that took government bailouts. And those 
were another situation where you needed flexibility to have people lose awards. TARP, Dodd-Frank clawback, similarly, all of that language that's been added to plans over the years to affect these type of things, this is where these black swan events, right, and are where that flexibility in your plan or in your award agreement really pays off because it reduces the likelihood of suits. It reduces the likelihood of a committee running afoul of something or saying, oh, I'm just going to pay the people. And it also reduces, I, I mean, I, I frankly, for the first time, have used clawback language, the generic clawback language for someone who paid somebody inadvertently not knowing. Because remember, these, these things come out and, you know, it, 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 it's a day or two before you figure it out. And by the time it hits the equity component and you think about it, it's a couple of days have passed. You may have already paid somebody and it's technically not allowed. You use the clawback provision to say, I'm calling it back hereby to get it back. And that was not the original intent of the clawbacks, right? They were all out of Sarbanes-Oxley and other things. But, you know, I, I think that flexibility to use that language is useful, um, at least to show that if you have a footfall on some of these events that are happening, uh, you know, you can correct it or rectify it. So in, in general, I think we've touched on a couple of things. The fact that China, where what was expected hasn't manifested due to COVID and, and the ramifications. I'd like to try and touch on a couple of things where they may be slower emerging uh, trends. So, for example, uh, in the UK, uh, private equity seems to be embracing a U.S. model. Uh, can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I, I mean, we're seeing more and more, um, you know, EMEA deals, I'll broaden it out from just the UK, that tend to use uh, more management style equity awards that you see on the private side uh, that are like profits interest trying to replicate it. Now, the UK has always had sweet equity and EMEA has always had sweet equity that tries to balance this. But I think as the deals become more global, you're sort of seeing this done in different formats. So a way to do that in a manner is to to set up partnerships and use that for your US participants and then have a sweet equity concept on the partnership. Uh, you know, I don't think this is fully baked at this point, but you're sort of seeing the need to be less, all right, we're doing this the EMEA the style, or yes, we're doing this the US style on the private equity side, more of trying to get develop uh, something that works for both, at least in concept. Although, you know, I, I don't think uh, no one has the magic mouse trap yet. And I guess in maybe to wrap up, we can talk about maybe the trends that the folks in the U.S. should be taking a look at. So really the one that I think we haven't discussed, because we did talk about the expectation that taxes would change and compensation would have to be adjusted. And that really hasn't happened and probably won't, um, you know, for the short term. But ESG has. So uh, do you have, you know, what are your comments on that? I, look, ESG is top of mind, obviously, at the SEC. You've seen the new requirements come out on disclosure and other things. It is becoming or, you know, that's what's around the corner, so to speak. And I think, you know, every every few years you sort of see something else that is coming. That That is definitely around the corner. I don't know what those metrics are going to be. but. I'm expecting, and 
it seems like the SEC is expecting, and it seems like uh, the shareholder services, ISS, and others are expecting somehow KPIs based on ESG. And what that is going to look like is probably very industry-specific, very specific to a variety of things. But I think you know when you're doing equity awards, if it's important to the SEC and it's important to um, shareholder services and your shareholder base, it's eventually going to become a important part of your equity plan and your equity award cycle. And I think it's worthwhile to think about. I think the one other thing, just in closing up, I, I, I'm... Um, you know, brief email about this, but you know, the U.S. is also catching up in data privacy right now. Uh, EMEA is in a very different place. They have much more data privacy laws than the U.S. If anybody's looked at their equity plans lately, they'll notice pages at the back related to data privacy in the EU versus the UK versus other non-EU EMEA countries. So it is kind of a ton. Um, and, and frankly, the U.S., I, I'm not going to say it was behind. It, it took a different tack on data privacy. And now we're seeing more uh, legislation. Uh, Utah just came out with some data privacy legislation, not specific to equity plans, but I think that's the other thing that you know a U.S. company is going to have to be on the lookout for. So trying to see around the corner, so to speak, um, you know, with the imperfect information we have, I, I think those are the types of things to be aware of. ESG, data privacy may require changes in awards and KPIs going forward, or may require actually changes in your plan documentation. In, in the case, you know. Of- just one sort of related question, not necessarily to ESG, but just in, in, with KPIs and performance plans in general. I know we talked a little bit about this offline the other day, uh, Henrik, but with the just presuming that inflation is not going to be short term, that we're going to continue in an inflationary cycle, let's say for the next couple of years, I think. You know, as I mentioned to you, I'm old enough to remember back in the 80s when we were in an environment like that and working for a big corporation at the time, we had by, you know, semi-annual compensation reviews because of the fact that inflation was at such a high level that you were losing out, you know, on your base salary, basically at a pretty significant rate, even through a six month period. And so that was relatively common for companies to give semi-annual increase and some companies even more so than that. I'm just curious on your perspectives of how that can potentially play out. I know it's a little bit more difficult from a, a traditional annual compensation cycle, but do you think that we'll begin to see that if inflation does continue at a significant pace going forward? Will we be, begin to see companies putting in provisions where they can reassess KPIs yeah. or performance indicators on a less than annual basis? I mean, it's interesting. I I think it's probably going to start like it did in the 80s with the salary, because that's probably the easiest one to say we're going to have semi-annual reviews. But once you go to the salary and say you're going to have semi-annual reviews, what's it's sort of almost you know similar to say, well, if we're doing that, we should also do semi-annual comp awards because to reflect that inflation. And it sort of says we're going to look at everything on a six-month basis rather than on a year basis. You did see a little of this during COVID. So if people remember when the world shut down in March, I did have clients that said we're going to you know, delay our equity awards 
or we're going to grant some now and we're going to do another in six months just because we didn't know what to set the KPIs at in March of 2020, right? What, John, I think you're talking about is more the, if this inflationary environment is here to stay and is longer term, you know, you may need to go to semi-annual reviews on comp. And once you do that, it makes sense to do it also on your equity because equity is a percentage of comp. Mm-hmm. It's general. And it may become an increasing percentage of comp going forward. Henrik, thank you very much. I really appreciate your insight, your passion, and your your availability. I mean, I think we probably will probably revisit this later in the year because some of these things are consistently changing. But the fact that you're actually putting the audience and, and our listeners on a path of prudence and what they should be looking at or be aware of is very much appreciated. Thanks to joining Own Up. Thanks for listening to Own Up by Global Shares. This podcast was brought to you by Global Shares in association with DustPod. Make sure to subscribe to be notified right away when we release a new episode. And if you like what we're doing, why not share with friends or leave a review? Until next time.